Thank you, Nina. <laughs> It's great to see you here today, and at this time, the ushers will come forward to receive the offering, and as they do, we'll go over a few announcements for the week and the day. Today, the high school girls' discipleship group will not meet. (laughs) Someone just wrote it on their first service. I announced that they would meet. They aren't. So I'm inviting, now I'm starting to announce things that aren't happening. (laughs) Also, today, you won't win the lottery. Singles ministry will meet tonight at 6 over in the classroom. We call it the overflow room now. It's right next to the foyer on that side of the church. College fellowship meets tonight at 7. Remember our married couples retreat that's coming up in September. Sign up for that if you can so they know how many people are coming. We're going to the angel game in September. You can sign up for that today too. Um, Put on your calendars. We'll be having a baptism down at Pirates Cove on August 19th. That's a Saturday evening, So, and then we'll have a beach party after that, so uh, get that on your schedule. Also on August 20th, Sunday after second service, any women who are either involved in leadership here in the church in any way or would like to, there's a special lunch for you to get together and no doubt talk. It's women. And so... <laughs> That's August 20th after second service up in the fellowship hall. Sign up. (laughs) And let's see, this Wednesday, uh, we're having uh, our Bible study. We've started the last couple weeks going through the book of Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. So I call it the dumb people study because if you're really smart and have all the answers, you don't need Proverbs. But if you realize that sometimes you come up short... There's so much practical stuff in there that can really help us live the lives that, that will make us fulfilled and that will please the Lord. And so on Wednesday nights, I'd invite you to come on out for that study. And this Wednesday, we will also be celebrating communion. And so prepare your hearts for that this Wednesday. Also, the women's conference yesterday just went great from everything I heard, and a lot of women were blessed, and I want to thank everyone who helped put that together and make it such a special time, and also let you know if you missed it or if you want to share it with someone else, the tapes from those sessions, or really CDs, um, will be available probably by this Wednesday, and certainly next Sunday they'll be available, so you can pick those up in the tape window. And another thing, you remember a few months ago we talked about, well, there was a church that was available in an auction, and it's over, the Christian Science Church over on Moulton, it's less than two miles from here. And it happened kind of suddenly, and so we just told you, hey, if the Lord provides enough money that I know we have the down payment, then we'll go ahead and bid. And, you know, we were excited about it, and in a week... We got enough money to come in to to be able to cover the down payment, and so we went and bid, and we bid as much as we felt the Lord wanted us to bid, and we didn't get it. Another church bid higher than we did. So we gave you your money back and said, you know, we'll see what the Lord has next. Still been praying about instead of dumping $40,000 a month into rent, it would be nice to be able to purchase a facility. Well, the group that actually won that auction apparently named it but didn't claim it. And <laughs> as a result, it fell out of escrow. And so they called me a couple days ago and, and uh, wanted to talk. 
And the bottom line is we're, we're getting that building for um, $350,000 less than what we had bid on it. So all that money we gave you back, I hope you hung on to some of it. <laughs> But in the next couple of weeks, we'll set up an open house over there where after church on a Sunday where we can all go by and, and look through it and just enjoy and appreciate what God's doing. We'll end up closing escrow sometime in October. And so looking forward to, well, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is it's smaller than this building. And maybe you guys will learn to come to church on time to get a good seat. So, but no, it's okay. You can sit outside. Today would be a great day. But uh, no, but it'll be a pinch for us. We may have to end up going to more services or whatever, but, you know, we're excited. It's really not for us. The way I look at it is what we do now is giving a church to our kids down the road. We have so many kids in our church, and I'd love them to be able to be in a facility that they don't have to struggle for the way, you know, we've had to at times. So um, I'm excited that God's doing it and just wanted to share that with you. Now on to more important things. Turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. We've been studying through the book of Galatians, and this is a letter that Paul wrote to tell about what is really good news. Now, in the process of telling the good news, he also gives the bad news. The bad news is mankind has this thing called our flesh that causes us to want to do stupid things, that causes us to want to do things that are bad for us, that will destroy us. And the worst news is that all of the things that people try to do to fix what's wrong in this world won't fix it. They don't make it better. We try really hard. As Paul explains in Galatians, you can be as religious as you want, but what the law taught Israel is the same thing that religion will teach you. Religion will not make you a better person. It will not change your character. You just get, you attach religious language to the flesh. And here in Galatians 5, a few weeks ago, as we looked at the works of the flesh, as he called them, in other words, doing what comes naturally, the result, he says, is adultery and fornication and uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the like. He goes, that's what life looks like. And the funny thing is, if you just try to be religious, you'll just do all those same things, but you'll have some religious justification for it. But the truth is, as we saw as we began to read about the fruit of the Spirit last week, is God has something much better in mind. It's His desire to see our lives reflect the qualities, as He says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And He goes on to give these other terms that end with self-control, and, and to say, that's what life in the Spirit is. That's what a real connection with God will do in your life. Now, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and fruit is singular. As we talked about last week, fruit is the, the love is really the key. Everything else flows forth from it. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, but these other things are the result of a life of love. These other things are, are things that flow forth from love as it 
works in our lives, it just operates in our lives. And so this list lets us know, it paints a picture, really, of what life can be. Now, who in their right mind would look at saying hatred and contention and unfaithfulness or love and joy and peace? Which of those would you rather have in your life? Of course, everyone would much rather have love, joy, and peace. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to change our lives from heading down the road of self-destruction and of other destruction to entering into a relationship that allows our lives to flow with love, joy, and peace. This morning, we want to look a little bit at love, joy, and peace and talk about maybe what it is, what it looks like, how it happens. Now, one of the problems with Christians is that so often when we see what the Bible says life is supposed to look like, and then we look in the mirror and realize we don't measure up, one of the first things that we want to do is change the definitions. And I believe we've been guilty of changing the definitions of love, joy, and peace to make it something that we can live with. And, and yet these words, we know clearly, we, we know what love is. The, the old band Foreigner used to have a song, I want to know what love is. Come on, you know what love is. The trouble is, you don't see much of it. You'd like more of it than you have, and you feel like you're coming up short. Joy, the same way. You know what joy is. You know what it means. But spiritually, we sometimes redefine these terms. And so we talk about love, and we can, with a straight face, say things like, I love him, but I don't like him. I mean, look up love in the dictionary. It's to like someone a lot, to feel an attraction to, to have an attachment with. In a nutshell, I would say to love means that you care. That's why love and hate aren't opposite. Love and indifference are opposite. Either you care or you don't. But you can't say, oh, I love you, but I don't like you. I so often hear this in religious circles where, where people are, they center their life around pointing out what's wrong with everyone who is different than they are. And so often as they're going through that process, and there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with people, that's for sure. But they can say it in such a caustic way and then say, but I really love these people, fill in the blank of whatever people it is. And I think, do you really? Isn't love something that's supposed to show? Isn't it supposed to make a difference? Can you really love someone that you don't like? Can you really love someone that you don't care about? Only in religious circles. Because we take the word love and we define it as something that's kind of buried inside of us. And really what I'm doing right now is beating you up in love. You know, And it's kind of like we say to someone, I love you in the Lord. What we mean is I don't really love you, but you know, I'm supposed to, so I love you in the Lord. Kind of like not for real. Joy is the same way. What is joy? What would you, how would you describe joy? It's a pretty simple word to understand. It just means you're happy, basically. You're having fun. That's joy. But as Christians, we seem, because we feel guilty because maybe we're not having enough fun, then we take that word and we say, joy is something that's deep within. 
Uh, Jesus first, others second, yourself third. We come up with cute little sayings. There's even that old song that says, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. And that's where we're leaving it. We're not going to let it leak out. We're not going to smile or have fun. And so often our image of what a spiritual person is, is somebody who's very somber, who looks miserable. But that's not what the word means, the fruit of the Spirit. Hey, a part of it, something that flows forth. If you're not happy, you're probably not in love. It's, it works that way. So we know this is what joy is. Now, another magic, spiritual, Christianese sort of way of talking about joy is that joy is not connected to the circumstances, You know, my joy is independent. I rejoice in the Lord, not in what happens to me. How many times have you heard people say that? I don't believe that. I'm not sure that you can have a joy that's not based in what's happening. Hey, good things happen, we're happy. It's what makes us happy. You usually don't get happy over nothing. And if you read what the Bible says, it doesn't talk about, you know, when it says rejoice in the Lord in Philippians, it's not saying, so rejoice in the Lord, and that has nothing to do with what's happening around you. The book of Philippians is a, is a big, you know, just a mosaic of joy. Paul is in prison at the time, and it meant a lot to the Philippians because when he was in Philippi, really how their church got started, Paul was in prison with Silas, and as they had been beaten and they were in chains in the middle of the night, they were singing, rejoicing, (coughs) and that no doubt touched the, the Philippians, and so now as Paul's in prison again, and he's writing them a letter, he's saying, I want you to have joy. But if you read the book of Philippians, he's not saying have joy in nothing. He's not saying ignore what's happening around you and then you can have joy. In reality, Paul's joy comes from his circumstances. But they come because he sees the bigger picture. He realizes, hey, I'm in prison and that's kind of a bummer. But look at the good things that are happening because I'm in prison. I'm able to share with other people who are in prison. I can share with the guards. I see that for you guys, it's been good for you that I'm in prison because it's encouraging your faith. You have to grow up because I'm not there and available to you. And Paul looks at his circumstances, but he takes a broader look and he goes, wow, there's some great stuff that's happening right now, despite some of the things that are happening that I wouldn't have chosen. Joy does come from circumstances, but it comes from seeing enough of the circumstances and knowing that you have a God who loves you, and as a result, it makes you happy. I have bad news for you. If you think that you're a joyful person because deep down inside somewhere there's joy, that, you know, sometimes you hear a joke and you actually think about laughing, but you don't dare because that wouldn't be spiritual. Guess what? That's not joy. Joy is exactly what you think it is. And God wants to give that to us. Why? Because as Nehemiah said, back when you know, the Jews had been in, the, in captivity in Babylon, and finally they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of the city, to begin to rebuild the, the temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And They hadn't seen a Bible in a long time, and they dug one up and started to read it, and they go, oh, man, we're in trouble. 
we're not doing anything that God tells us to do. And they started to cry and to weep. And Nehemiah stood up and he goes, you guys quit crying. Don't mourn and weep. He said, this day is holy to the Lord. Have a party. Celebrate. Appreciate. Man, it's good. Why? Because he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I believe that the joy of the Lord is our strength too. I think that's a true statement. I believe that we will have as much strength as we have joy. I have people, and I, I suppose I have a way about me sometimes where I look like I'm in deep in thought or I look like I'm kind of miserable or, you know, I, I don't know. I, from when I was a little kid, my mom told me that somebody said, he looks like, I was two years old, and she, they said, he looks like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's me and maybe I'm that way. And I have people come up and go, boy, you look tired or you look bummed, or you, are, is there anything I can pray for you about, you know, and I'm like, oh boy. But I've never yet had anyone come up to me and say, Dave, you look miserable. You, you look so depressed and, and sad and empty. How could I be like you? How could I, can you tell me something that will make me feel the way you feel? See, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're walking along and you look happy, people go, you must have just heard some good news. What's up? What's going on? See, joy is something that's contagious. Joy is something that can be shared. Joy is something that can't be faked. I was, I was at a wedding yesterday, and it was over in Santa Ana. It was 108 degrees. Air conditioning wasn't working. It was really miserable. But they had, and I think there, there can't be anything much crueler in life more obvious child abuse than to put a little kid in a tuxedo. But this tiny little guy is in a tuxedo all bundled up, and he's walking down the aisle, and on his face, somebody had obviously gotten to him because he was just going, just forcing this smile. And I looked at that poor kid, and I thought, you know, how many times is that the way we live because we think we're supposed to look that way? But, the, but Scripture doesn't tell us, if you can fake joy, you've got it made. It says joy. You're supposed to have it. If you're living life right, joy should be there. If you don't see something to laugh about every few minutes, there's something wrong. You're missing the point. There's something that's the matter, and you're not seeing what God is doing. And this is a fruit, a result, a, a life choice, really, of walking in the Spirit. It results in joy. And make no mistake about it, that's not an inward joy that will allow you to look miserable and still be spiritual. It's a, it's a, it's a truth that says, if you're spiritual, really, you're going to enjoy. You're going to rejoice. You're going to celebrate. You're going to see all the good things that God is doing and appreciate it. Now, what about peace? Again, we redefine peace so often. And we say, well, peace is something that we have relationally with God. And that's true. We are at peace with God. Jesus died for us, and we're forgiven, and we're at peace with God. But peace, in its most basic definition, means you're not at war. It means you're not stressed. You're not carrying the weight of the world. You're not worrying about as if everything that ever happens depends on you. It's to not be burdened. It's really, I mean, a good synonym for it would be to be relaxed, to just know that everything's okay, that everything's going to be all right. 
And that should be our testimony. That should be what God does in our life. And so you see love and joy and peace, and you go, okay, this is what we're supposed to look like. Now, you can certainly see that if we looked more like this, people would be attracted to it. And that's a good thing. That's a nice byproduct. But God, He could just teach us to be good actors if He just wanted to use our love, joy, and peace as bait to get people in the doors. That's not what it's about. That's not what He wants to do. He wants that because we are designed to love and to enjoy and to be at peace. Something that He wants to do for you, it's the way you're designed. So, is that what we see in our lives? You know, I said one of the, a great synonym really for love is to care. So I'll ask you, do people really know that you care? Do they see that? Because if they don't, I don't care whether you care deep down inside or not. If they don't know you care, it doesn't matter. I like using the word care as a synonym for love. And, and I was thinking last week as we looked in 1 Corinthians 13 and it talked about love or charity in the old King James. And I read it and put, I plugged in care. And think about it. He says, even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't care, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so I could remove mountains, but I don't give a rip, I'm nothing. <laughs> and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned, but I could care less, it profits me nothing. If I care, I'll suffer long and still be kind. If I care, I won't be envious. If I really care about others, I'm not going to parade myself and act like I'm something special. And on and on through the passage, that's the question. Do we really care? As I said, the opposite of love is indifference. There's a, there's a word that can be a beautiful word, but it's come into a weird modern usage. It's the word whatever. Now, if you can use that word in ways... And maybe you've had someone say to you, I will do whatever you need. Whatever it is that you're going through, I will go through it with you. Whatever happens, you can trust me. And that's a beautiful use of a word. Whatever, it's a broad word that says, no matter what, I will be there. But today in our society, we've come up with a little different usage. We use the word standing alone. Whatever. Why is it like that? What that says is, you're having, well, you're having a discussion with someone. It starts to evolve into maybe a little bit more than a discussion and kind of an argument. And at some point, if you're losing the argument or you're just losing interest, you could just say, whatever. What that says is, what you're saying doesn't matter to me. You don't matter to me. I'll even let you win. I don't care about you. And that's a sad thing to do, to send that message. And yet, so often, even if we don't go, whatever, it's still the message that we send. I don't have time for you. I don't want to listen to hearing about your problems. You are standing in the way of my joy. Get out of the way. 
Leave me alone. Stop it. It's one of the most insulting and unloving things that we can do to tell someone else, you don't even matter enough to me that we're, we're going to talk about this. It's just, whatever happens, I don't care. I don't care. I could care less. I couldn't care less. Two opposite statements that mean the same thing in today's usage. Just don't care. Now, there are times when I really care, but it comes off like I'm not caring. The truth is, it doesn't matter. I can have all the care in the world, but if it doesn't show, and if people can't see it, it doesn't matter to me. It's why there are times when things that I say, I mean, you can't talk as much as I talk without offending everyone sooner or later. And I'm just resolved to that. It's not that I don't care about it. I've never, ever intentionally said, you know, I'm going to say something that I bet I'll get letters and emails and people will be hurt and some people will probably leave the church over it. This should be fun. We're getting a little crowded it's time for me to take a shot at one category of people or one profession or, you know, we could use a few less lawyers, so a few lawyer jokes. That'll, no, never, never in my wildest imagination would I ever desire to offend people, but I do offend them. And when I do, I really do care. And I will do whatever I can do in order to try to make it right because, hey, you know, there's an old expression that says, people will never care what you know until they know how much you care. It's true. And I don't want to waste my life and spend my wheels doing what comes from a heart of caring, but having people not even realize I do care about them. And so I'll go way out of my way to try to make that clear. I do care. that it, People matter to me, and their feelings matter to me, and what happens to them matters to me. Sometimes it doesn't show, but it's got to be there or there's no point to life, really, unless I just decided life is all about me. Life is all about getting whatever I can, and so I just need to keep up a good appearance so I can con enough people that they will value me enough that they'll help me get where I want to go. It's like I saw George Burns one time speaking at a college graduation and it's one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. He said, as he stood up there, he said to the graduates, he said, you guys, the most important thing in life is sincerity. He said, if you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> and, and that's the way life kind of works nowadays. We've long since given up on real love and joy and peace. And we've realized that our life will get a little better if we can pretend to have love, to be happy, and to be relaxed. And so we just learn to fake it. But when that isn't seen as our characteristic, if, if the Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives should just naturally manifest love and joy and peace, if people don't see that, then we're just playing a game. And frankly, again, I don't think that the average person out there who doesn't go to church has an idea of, you know, one thing about those people at church, they really care about me. One thing about those people at church, they're really having a good time. One thing about those people at church, they have a peace. No, they don't think that at all. When was the last time you were laying in bed and you heard people out on the street laughing and thought, oh, it must be a Bible study? You know, we, it's, now you figure somebody's drinking. But the, but the thing is, 
drinking doesn't make you happy. It just helps you pretend like you're happy. Happy hour is one of the saddest places you could be when it's over. A life of, of trying to artificially prop yourself up, whether it's with religion or whether it's with booze, it's really not much of a difference. Don't settle for less than the reality. But our, you know, I think a lot of people who aren't Christians think that the only way that we would ever want them to come to church is that maybe they'd start to put money in the plate or makes our church look good if we have a bunch of people we're bursting at the seams. I think that's what they think because, frankly, I think sometimes that's the true mentality. But do we really feel connected to them? Remember, one of the definitions in the dictionary of love is attachment. Do we really feel that we're attached to them or do we feel that we're so detached from them? Maybe we're attached to each other, but we're detached from everyone who's out there. If that's the reality, frankly, we are not spiritual. Frankly, if we don't feel an attachment to every person out there and a desire for their good, not to hustle them. Hey, all the things that we tend to care about are things we shouldn't care about. And all the things we ought to care about, so often we don't. And God says, I want to give you that love, that care, that attachment, that concern, that attraction, that liking that's real. You want to know what love is? You know what it is. Do you want to find out where to get it? God offers that to us. Now, how does this work, love, joy, peace in your life? First of all, the way love works is, in order to know it, you have to experience it. That's why John said over in 1 John, here's how you know love, that God gave his son. We love, he said, because he first loved us. So the most important concept for you to get in your head is that God madly loves you, that God just powerfully and intimately, he looks at you, and, and if we're going to use an anthropomorphism, his heart beats faster. He, he, he just likes you. He made you, and you're valuable to him. He loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you just the way you are. He has some ideas of how to make life better for you, but he loves you. Loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die for you. He, as someone has said, I ask you, how much do you love me? And Jesus stretched his arms out and said, I love you this much. He does. And if you don't know that he loves you, nothing else is ever going to work for you. But it's responding to that love that brings on the other side because love to be really enjoyed needs to be reciprocated. And so as we understand that he loves us, it causes us to want to love not only him but those he cares about. Remember Peter, after he had totally blown it, denied Jesus, Jesus, poor Jesus being beaten and nailed to a cross and Peter's going, I don't even know who he is. And he probably felt really bad later, and he was nervous about the day he would see Jesus. And, oh boy, how do, how do I explain this? I had just told him, man, I'll never leave you. I had said, I'm a brave one. These other disciples, I'm not so sure about. But I'm going to be there for you. Whatever happens, I'll be there. And now, oh man, I embarrassed myself so badly. Jesus took him for a walk there on the Sea of Galilee, and as they first time to be alone after Jesus rose from the dead. They walked down the beach, and Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? It's like he goes, Peter, do you really care? And Peter goes, yeah, I care. But do you care? 
yeah, I care. Jesus finally goes, do you even care? Oh, you know I care. You know I love. Each time Jesus said to him, if you do care, if you do love, then what? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. He, he said, if you love me, how about showing it by loving the people that I love? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he goes, that's my heart. I love you so much. If you love me, love my people. Simple as that. And that's why this is the key to making everything else work. It's the key to the fruit of the Spirit is understanding that I am loved and then reciprocating that love by loving others. That's the supernatural part of life that begins that path of understanding what life is really supposed to be. Nothing feels better than to know that you're loved and to know that you love. Nothing feels worse than to have that love shattered. And sometimes we go through tremendous disappointments when maybe we love someone and they don't love us back. Or we love someone and then we lose them. But love, that's something that we learn because he loves us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And as we love him back, we express that by loving others, even loving people who aren't all that lovely. Loving people who, on first glance, may turn us off completely. But then we look at Jesus and we go, if he loves them, I guess I should too because he really loves me. Now, that love, as it starts to work in our lives, what's the natural result of love? Joy. Joy comes out of love. There isn't anything that will make you happier, ultimately, than to know that you're loved and to know that you love. I'm not even sure which one makes you happier. It really, it does feel good to be loved. But it also feels really good to love, to care about someone. You see someone that you love, you haven't seen them for a while, oh man, it just, it makes you happy. I think too few of us, as we're out there walking around the street, look like somebody who's in love. Look like someone who has the joy that comes with relationship. But that's what God wants to do for us. And that joy, that rejoicing, sometimes we don't have it because we don't even realize that's supposed to, that's the way life is supposed to work. But if, if you love, if you're loved and you love, then joy ought to come forth from that. And you not only have God's permission, you have his blessing that he says, look, I want you to enjoy. I want you to live. You know, the word enthusiasm, it means, it means basically to be in God. Because if you're close to him, you'll be optimistic. You'll believe the best. You'll find things to rejoice in. You know, there's an old story you've probably heard, but about a little kid who was just always optimistic. He always saw the best in everything, and their family was dirt poor, struggling, having a hard time, and his father, who was just so frustrated and depressed, he said, I am going to knock that optimism out of that kid. And so it was Christmas Eve, and the dad came in and put a big pile of manure right in the middle of the living room floor next to the Christmas tree. And he goes, let's see how he looks at this. And the kid came in in the morning, and he's so excited. He sees this manure, and he dives right into it and starts digging through it. And his dad grabs him and goes, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And he goes, man, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony here somewhere. 
And that's the truth is. It's not faking it. It's not pretending. It's not being delusional. It's understanding because God loves me, he is doing really good things in my life. And some of the things that I see that he's not liking, I need to notice what he is doing as a result. What he's delivering me from by taking some things away that I would really have liked to have kept. What he's going to do instead of that, how he is going to bless me. Not ignoring my circumstances, but taking a closer look and seeing the good things that are really happening. We are so blessed, all of us. Can we look at that and appreciate that and, yeah, even enjoy that? There's a passage of Scripture that I really love in the end of 1 Timothy Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's talking about people whose lives get destroyed by focusing on money, by focusing on things. And there in, in 1 Timothy the chapter 6, he, he wraps the discussion up after talking about greed and all these things. Then he says, by the way, verse 17, here's something to share with rich people, he said. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be cocky, not to be arrogant, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Don't depend on them, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Wow. That's something you don't think about very often, that God might make you rich because he wants you to have fun, because he wants you to enjoy that he loves you that much. We live in a society where we try to get everything we can, and then we get it. We feel guilty about it. We think, oh, if I have that car, people might think this about me. Or so often, what's even worse, we, we are driven to buy toys because we really want to have some fun. But then what do we do? We spend all our life ignoring those toys, paying to store them, and still trying to, you know, make more money or get more things or we become engrossed in whatever it is that we care about so much so that relationships are taken away. We ignore people that we love. We don't take the time to give them a call and say, hey, I care about you. And we don't even go out. I mean, how many people have boats and jet skis and stuff that, okay, maybe it was stupid to buy it, but guess what? You bought it, now it's not even worth selling. How about taking it out and having fun with it? Oh, that doesn't sound very spiritual. It really is. When we think that it's not spiritual to go have fun, we're misunderstanding what God really wants to do in our life and what the joy of the Lord is and what being filled with the Spirit is and, and living in that love. We don't enjoy what He's given us, and it's crazy. He gives it because He wants us to enjoy and yet we so often live these miserable lives and think that somehow the more miserable we are, the more spiritual we are. That's not the way it's supposed to work. A real love and concern should lead us to a real joy, to a real happiness, to an ability to laugh at life, to ability to rejoice when things go well, and to look for reasons to have that joy to find ways in which to celebrate what God has done for us. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we really do care, we make that clear, and we understand how important we are to God and how much He loves us, and we learn to enjoy life a little bit, and we learn to enjoy seeing what He has done for us that's so good, the next thing that happens, peace. You don't have to strive anymore because you already know you're blessed. 
You don't have to feel guilty because you know it's okay to love and to have joy. And you think about how love expresses itself so often. What starts with love makes you so happy, and then there's such a peace that comes afterwards. And and that's what God wants us to do. But sometimes we live our life not enjoying and not loving, not relating. And as a result, we go to bed and we're struggling. We're struggling, striving, stressed, all of those S words. And, and we're just going, oh, I can't sleep. And every day we have a choice. Today am I going to care about people? Today am I going to enjoy my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with others? And peace will so naturally flow forth from that. There are some of you today, and I'm not knocking it, But some of you today will decide you're going to spend your day watching some sporting event. And believe me, I watch sports with the best of them. But today you might think, hmm, I think I will watch and see if Tiger Woods can hold on to his lead in the last round. And man, the best thing would be if like six guys catch up with Tiger Woods and it goes into extra holes and all that. Or if you're a baseball fan, you're like, oh, I hope this is a close game so it goes into extra innings and I'll get all this adrenaline and everything. And hey, if that's joy to you, have at it. Go ahead. I mean, but on the other hand, there are other options. You could TiVo that tournament and go ahead and watch it in five or ten minutes And actually go out and enjoy yourself today a little bit. Get out and enjoy the day or go for a drive in your air-conditioned car. And look at the beautiful place that we live. So often we don't even look because we're not taking time to enjoy. The other day, uh, my friend Jerry and I went for a little motorcycle ride down the coast to go to lunch. And we're driving down PCH down there in Laguna. And looking out, you see whales just spitting, you know, and it's like, we're looking at each other like, can you believe this? Here we are, taking an hour for lunch, riding along, and seeing these whales, and it was just a gorgeous day, and we were just going, wow, we are so blessed to be where we are. You know, when was the last time you just went out and looked, and appreciated, and really enjoyed? Now, if instead you decide to get all stressed, feeling like somehow Tiger Woods sinking that birdie putt today, if you're trying really hard, he's going to be able to sink it. And if you watch it delayed, it probably isn't the same. Or if you really think that you're putting on your red hat and and slapping your little things together and cheering for the angels today is really going to help the angels win, I would say, why do you care more about angels than you do about your friends, your family? your health, everything that you give up because i got to do this. Your choice as to whether you enjoy this day or not and to whether you use this day to express and receive love or not is going to greatly determine how you feel at the end of this day. When you lay down tonight, if you know that today was a day of love and joy, you'll also find that you have peace at the end of it. And that's what really everyone's looking for. That's what we want. And it's what God wants to give us. He loves us so much. He loves to see us happy. He loves to see us smile. And he wants to give us that peace. Some, I know my wife yesterday with the women's conference, was just she had a great time. The last couple days getting ready for it and then doing it, she had a wonderful time. But man, when she got home, she was worn out. 
but she slept better than I've seen her sleep in a long time. There's a peace that comes just from knowing that you left it all out there on the mat, you know, that, that it was just, oh, it's, something was accomplished, and hearts were touched, and people were affected, and you, you saw good things happen. And when that happens, you feel like, man, that's a good feeling. Yesterday at a, at a wedding when it's, you know, 108 degrees and the air conditioning was broken and it was, it was miserable and I was just, I couldn't wait to get out of there as much as I just madly love the people who got married. And yet, as I was like heading out and I'm just oh, I'm so drained and exhausted and stressed, a lady came up to me and she said, you know, you don't know me, but she said, I heard you when you did another wedding for some other people a while back, and, and like two days later, I was listening to the radio, and I heard some things that you were saying, and I was going through something that was exactly what you were talking about, and she said, I just want you to know, I pulled my car off the side of the road, and I just started to cry, and I thought, I never thought that something I might say in a fleeting moment could make somebody feel like all of a sudden God had touched them. I thought, how blessed that I am to be a part of that. And I felt such a peace. Combination of that, and I was in my air-conditioned car within a few minutes, but, you know, it was like, oh, man, I feel really good about life right now. I feel really good about God right now. I feel really good about where He has me right now. And that's what he wants for all of us, love, joy, peace. Understand that you're loved and try doing it back. Start to care. Start to show some care. You'll find you enjoy that. It's, it's a rejoicing. It's an enthusiasm. It's, a, it's an excitement that comes. And spend your life doing that. There's a peace that you can't find any other way, an antsiness that goes away, a relaxing that can kick in, the feeling that everything is right. Is everything ever right in the world? No. There's always all kinds of bad stuff going on, but when you see what God is doing, there's plenty of reasons to rejoice. And there's plenty of reason to believe that whatever's wrong, they're not dependent on me. I look at the situation in the Middle East and it's a total mess. But I can sleep at night knowing that I'm not the one who's going to fix it. They're not going to call me and say, could you get the Hezbollah together with Israel and let's see if we can... No, it's not my problem. So I am at peace. I, I realize, you know, the pressure's not on me. I don't have to perform. I don't need to impress certain people or accomplish certain things in order to be somebody. God loves me just like I am. And I love Him. And, you know, all around me are people that I dearly care about. And I know some of them even care back. Everything's fine. I can enjoy life and should enjoy life. And when I don't, it's just a reminder to me to go back to where it all starts. And that is walking in the Spirit. Deciding to have a relationship with the one who loves you more than I can explain or express. And when you understand that he loves you, and you start allowing yourself to love back, to love him, and therefore to love his people, to start to care, you'll start to enjoy caring and being loved. And when that happens at the end of the day, peace is there. And Jesus said, I came that you would have peace. He said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He comes to give us peace, and we find that peace when we realize 
He's got it under control. He's going to win, and we're going to win. He's going to come through for us. We will be fine. Let's relax and love and start to enjoy life, and let's experience what He wants us to have. And that comes by walking in the Spirit. In the next couple of weeks, we'll look at the rest of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and see how they apply to our lives. But I hope you get the idea, as I do when I read this, uh uh-oh, Sometimes it looks like the flesh is driving. And I can put as much religious language around the flesh that I want. But the truth is, my anger isn't righteous indignation. The truth is, my hatred is not really love that's expressed the way I... It's tough love. Now, love is love. You know what it is. Joy is joy. You know what it is. Peace is peace. You know what it is. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Because you sure showed us how to love. Boy, did you. You've also given us so many reasons to rejoice. So many ways to enjoy so many things and so many people. And ultimately, because you are in charge of the universe, you've told us you'll take care of us. You've made it possible for us to know peace. God, help us to live this way. Help us to look like this. We're sorry for the times when our religion got in the way of what you want to do in our lives by your Spirit. Oh, Lord, help us not to settle for the flesh when you offer the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're